listening to a podcast from The National. With the first quarter of 2018 behind us, and what seems to be the successful impact of the OPEC-non-OPEC output restraint deal bringing stability to energy markets and crude prices, finally, after many years of volatility and concern about where Brent and WTI would go. But what next for energy markets? Welcome to the National's Business Extra podcast from our newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, and this episode focuses on the outlook for oil, energy, OPEC, Russia, what could happen to the Iran nuclear deal when Donald Trump decides to extend or not extend the waiver on it next month. The National's energy correspondent, Jennifer Niana, was in the capital covering FGE's annual conference on Middle East petroleum and gas. Iman Nasseri, who is the acting managing director of FGE for the region, came into the studio to talk to us about what the next few quarters might look like for energy markets, with some of the big factors at play, what Donald Trump might do about OPEC and Russia's output restraint deal, potentially what Trump might also do related to the Iran nuclear deal next month when a big decision is expected. But also, where is supply and demand? What's happened in terms of these fundamentals? and what can we expect for the next few months? Iman, so we have seen Brent, the benchmark for light, sweet crude, trading and rallying at around $70 per barrel. And it was it was at 74 on Thursday. How did we get to the stage? I mean, Brent was at 50 for much of the year, and then it saw a spike towards the latter half of the year. But we've seen some real lows, and now we're seeing just rally after rally. So how did we manage to get here? This is basically the result of uh, fundamentals suggesting that we are already already beyond uh, the market balance. So all those oversupply and imbalance that we saw in 2015 and 16 uh, are all but gone. And so uh, the the stock uh, levels are now below what the the five-year averages were. And so it's basically suggesting that the market is now getting tight and tighter. And of course, it's uh, a result of OPEC... uh, uh, fantastic performance in terms of managing the market and uh, their um, basically policy and uh, driven by Saudi policy uh, has worked perfectly but uh, no need to mention that other factors mm-hmm. that has either contributed to tighter supply uh, in let's say countries like Venezuela which mm-hmm. uh, beyond their control supply has uh, dropped significantly or demand factors uh, beyond expectation, higher demand in uh, countries like China and India have also contributed this uh, tight market. Uh, You spoke about the five-year average. I was in Jeddah on uh, Friday at the OPEX uh, monitoring committee meeting. And Khaled al-Fala, the Saudi oil minister, said that they were they were developing new metrics to decide what these are. But before we get to that, could you explain what you, me- what you mean by a five-year average for our listeners who may not be familiar with that term and why that was one of the reasons that led to the slump in oil prices that we saw from 2014 through to 2016? Sure. Um, in fact, he is right, and that's what we have been telling to our clients for the past, let's say, six months or so, that the concept that they, or, or the metric that they chose to uh, observe the market and measure the length or oversupply in the market 
uh, might not have been the best, uh, uh, but perhaps the easiest at that time. And only because this uh, five-year average stock level was already, uh, let's say, artificially inflated by those two years of oversupply mm. and increase in, in, in. So it wasn't uh, where the stock levels should have been but it was rather a, a, an increasing or inflated level. So when uh, we, had, and also th this is one aspect of this, and this is why now the OPEC and uh, uh, oil minister of Saudi Arabia has mentioned that we may be revising the metric now, mm -hmm. perhaps excluding these two years and make it either a seven year or the five years before the oversupply in the market emerged. And they're looking into different uh, metrics. I believe they're supposed to, the technical committee, come back with a suggestion for a replacement. Uh, but this is one of the, the, the reasons. However, we have been telling our clients that we have entered a tight market. The, the uh, uh, oversupply is uh, all but gone earlier in the year, mm. January perhaps, we all already below. And another uh, factor that has contributed to this measure not being the best, the five-year average of uh, stocks uh, around the world, is that we have seen a lot of uh, storage tanks and, and basically a stock uh, or a, a storage is being built around the world. And for those tanks, new tanks, they need to have a, a minimum working level in there. Mm. So all those are not really stock build, but those are the, uh, what need, uh, needed to have gone into the new tanks. So uh, the concept of uh, looking at the stock levels and say, no, we have too much oil in, in the stocks is, wasn't really uh, the right way of looking at it. The better way, however, as we always suggested, was to look at day's supply. So looking at, at what what's the world's demand, and especially in those areas where the stocks are required, such as OECD stock level company stocks, and see this amount of stock currently mm -hmm. accumulated, how many days of supply this is equivalent to, and then uh, measure that against it. And so uh, these more practical measures are perhaps better than just adding the, the amount of oil in the storages and saying that this is above or below the five-year average. You mentioned that um, one of the reasons for the the rally in, in oil price um, is um, it's 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 rooted in fundamentals, but President Trump seems to disagree. He said on Friday, in the middle of um, the OPEC monitor monitoring committee meeting, in fact, when they were celebrating the Secretary General's birthday, that uh, OPEC is at it again. Um, you know, the ships are fully loaded, uh, the prices are artificially high, um, and you know, he he has a thing against cartels. And OPEC, though they don't like to be called a cartel, has now finally come in the line of vision of Trump. Is there any truth to this? I mean, is is there any truth to the fact that prices could be artificially high and slightly manipulated at this stage? Uh, well, no, I wouldn't call it artificially high because it's not really, there is no artificial aspect to this uh, price. The, uh, price is uh, uh, basically basic economics 101. Price is the resultant of supply and demand. And it's the supply and demand which have resulted in this. So it's not art there is nothing artificial about this. Uh, and uh, if anything, all the 
contributors and players in the market are equally responsible for the resultant price in the market. So there's nothing that OPEC, for example, has done to prices. OPEC has decided to manage the market at some point by uh, oh, and this ma market management was not price. Uh, the target wasn't price. The target was to take oversupply out of the market. And they have uh, set a, a very transparent target, which was, as we discussed, uh, the five-year average, and said, okay, let's not produce uh, or uh, this much, let's say 1.8, uh, to take the oversupply out of the market. Well, now... U.S. producers, for example, have been part of this game. So they are equally responsible for the fundamentals. Demand centers, those who have started to, to burn more or less, are equally responsible for the fundamentals. So fundamentals is not OPEC, and price is not OPEC responsibility. OPEC has just contributed to a supply market equally to non-OPEC and all the others who who did not join this uh, OPEC plus non-OPEC meetings. So I wouldn't, again, call it artificially and uh, say that this is simple uh, fundamental resultant and, and economic 101 that supply is now at or below demand. And so maybe demand players uh, are uh, uh, basically pushing prices higher. More Business Extra in just a moment, but first allow me to tell you about The National's other podcasts. Beyond the Headlines takes a deeper dive into the biggest news from the week with distinct Middle Eastern point of view. An extra time from our esteemed sports desk is the best place to chat about the English Premier League and more. Subscribe to both shows as well as this one on Apple Podcasts or find us as always at thenational.ae. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast. Jennifer Niana was talking to Iman Nasseri from FGE about what the outlook might be for energy markets over the next few months. In your view, do you think Trump will go after OPEC this year? Uh well, I'm not a political commentator, so this is this is more political, and he has proven to be very hard to predict. So even political commentators may not be able to answer this question. But uh, well, my personal tendency is to say no because uh, the, perhaps uh, higher oil price is even better for the U.S. oil producers. So uh, I don't know why he has to, but again, uh, he may. <laughs> we were talking about the price rally and correction in the markets. Now the $70 level, is it sustainable in the near term? Well, $70, yes or no. Yes, in a way that if the fundamental uh, pre uh, persists and, and continues to be the, uh, the same, and uh, basically, the OPEC decision this year, how much they want to uh, continue this, if they want to relax, uh, to, to what extent they want to relax, and if the, the current relatively strong demand continue, yes, it, it can, uh, uh, this $70-ish, $70-80 can continue to be uh, the case. If you're talking about the uh, increase uh, by rally, no, we may not see much, although uh, the current, again, the current fundamental suggests, and it, this is what we internally, uh, our forecast is that we believe the oil price by summer, when the high oil demand season in, in the U.S. and elsewhere is 
uh, may hit uh, $80. So uh, we have forecasted $80 uh, during the summer this uh, this year. And that's given the current fundamentals. That's given that the OPEC will continue at least this year. Uh, their um, uh, cut to extent uh, and also demand remains strong. And uh, uh, basically the U.S. producers continue to uh, be mindful about their addition and uh, not to go too far in in how much they produce and they add to the market. So given all the current fundamentals, which is, as I mentioned, supportive of this uh, current oil price environment, uh, be there. We think the oil price may hit $80, but that's about it. So a 70 to 80, yes, in a in a short to medium term is uh, somehow sustainable. But the reason I said yes or no is that it depends on fundamentals and how it evolves. There are a few uh, very uncertain factors here. One is Iran's production and exports, how it may be impacted given the sanction renewal in the United States in May on May 12. Uh, President of the United States has to decide if he wants to extend U.S. unilateral uh, waiver of the U.S. sanctions, basically. And that will have an impact if he decides not to renew uh, on that. And it can take sizable supply out of the market. Also, how Venezuela continue and how soon they may, basically the economy may collapse and, and the, the current production may fall even below these very uh, low levels. So these are the two uh, unknowns uh, on the supply side. And demand side, I don't see uh, much of, uh, you know, surprise there. But on the supply side, we could be uh, surprised by this. But then on the other hand, OPEC may decide uh, that, okay, the market is too tight and let's relax either half of this uh, production cut uh, into the market or uh, the other hand. So there is there are some uncertainty, but our base case suggests that fundamental, current fundamental uh, support 70 to 80 dollar price this year. There are some reports that suggest that Saudi Arabia might want a hundred dollar price for this year. Is there any truth to that? Uh, I don't believe that? so. I don't think that's a, a, a real, uh, it was just a comment uh, for maybe to give a, a, a very small signal or to the media uh, that, you know, uh, it, it may happen. And if, if it happens, because of the, the market con conditions, it happens. So, uh, no, I don't find a, a real, you know, uh, wish or will or push for that. Now, the $80 figure came up just before the Syria strikes happened when we thought there would be a full-scale um, attack on Syria following the chemical weapons uh, attack. Now, uh, how much of the current rally in the price of oil is, is a result of geopolitics? Um, I had, in fact, a, a conversation with one of your colleagues then, and I mentioned that it's not really because of this Syria attack. The geopolitics of, basically, broader geopolitics of the region, yes, but not Syria, uh, Syria itself. But that even have had been already partially incorporated. So the market had taken that into account. The risk, all these risks uh, that exist 
between uh, all the tensions between the main countries, uh, even uh, the situation with Saudi, Qatar, UAE, Iran, uh, the sanctions, everyone knew May 12 is the deadline. So a lot of these geopolitics were built in. And uh, Saudi attack contributed to that risk basically becoming maybe a bit higher. Uh, and not only because of that attack itself, but how the other major producers will react and may get involved, which, uh, uh, again, at the moment with the current situation there, I don't, I don't think that uh, plays a big role in, in the prices that we're seeing today. Now, a lot of analysis on the oil markets talks about U.S. shale coming back. They will flood the market. But we haven't actually seen this flood yet. Have they sort of checked in um, U.S. shale hitting the market? And if so, what is the reason for holding back? Uh, yeah, everyone, including us, expect uh, a higher year-on-year -year growth uh, in the U.S. Uh, output this year. But at least we uh, believe that it is not the highest or the maximum potential that they can put in. We believe U.S. shale producers uh, took a lesson from uh, the oil price collapse of 2014 that they should not uh, mindlessly produce as much as they can. It's not necessarily at the best of their interest. So what we think uh, it's happening at the moment with the U.S. producers is that they are looking at the market and fundamentals the same as what OPEC does in, in a way, uh, considering uh, what will, what is the current market's condition, what will be the situation if they... Uh, add. So I don't want to say that there is any cartel formed in, in the U.S., but I understand that there is more and more discussions and uh, basically uh, interactions between them and uh, trying to basically keep this current, uh, let's say, win-win-win. So uh, producers are happy, uh, consumers and, and basically uh, the OPEC, non-OPEC, everyone are more or less happy about the, the current environment. So uh, I think what what's happening is that they are adding to the market, but not uh, in the extent that they ruin this game or the, the current situation that, that exists. So the shale producers met with OPEC on the sidelines of Sarah Week in Houston in March. Yeah, they did the first time last year, but it wasn't uh, as a serious conversation as it was this year. But we believe that since last year, they started uh, somehow uh, basically controlling what they, they're producing and uh, being mindful of, uh, of the extra supply that comes to the market. And so, yes, in a way, the main producers, the large uh, producers who impact the market most uh, have been uh, more or less in line with uh, what's going out of OPEC and the major other non-OPEC producers and let's be in line uh, and keep the market uh, or supply managed or under control. So there's been a sort of unsaid agreement right under President Trump's nose and he has... Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I, I would say, uh, and that's why I, I said that everyone's equally uh, mm. responsible for this because even the U.S. producers are now part of the game in a rather... Because uh, remember, the U.S. shale production was not... Uh, uh, did not happen by the major 
IOCs. It was all small independent producers who was not part of this game ever before. So what happened in 2013 and 14 was their first time basically joining this game. And they didn't know maybe the rules or, or what's the impact of my single company in the world. But they soon they realized that no, they are now becoming a, a more and more important part of this. And then the oil price collapsed to $30 or less yeah. in 2014, told them that, no, w wait a second, we, we have to we have to talk to each other. We have to, to see what others are doing. Uh, and now they are basically more experienced and, uh, yes, uh, seem to be uh, basically uh, talking to OPEC also in the past year or so uh, to the main producers and uh, try to be more or less in line. So in 2016, OPEC convened with Russia and non-OPEC non producers to approximately take 1.8 million barrels off the market. Correct. And then they started uh, the production cuts in 2017, and then they renewed agreement, I believe, in May or in June. Yes, in June. To extend uh, production cuts through to this year. Well, yeah, they, they did it in stages. So they first extended into first quarter, and then they extended until June, and then they extended until end of 2018, basically. And they said, in, they said on Friday at their monitoring committee meeting that they've achieved compliance, a historic compliance level of 149%. How did they manage this? Yeah, I, I should say that uh, basically this surprised everyone, including mm. us. We never thought that uh, this will happen. This is the most successful uh, OPEC cut agreement or any OPEC agreement in the past. And even more uh, surprisingly successful deal because it had non-OPEC on board. Remember, Russia promised OPEC 11 or 12 times in the past history that oil cut and never cut before. So this time, uh, I think even Saudi uh, commentators or even as uh, high as the minister and high official ranking officials mentioned that Russia may not cut. So uh, they were even, uh, you know, uncertain about this, but they did. And so it, it's historic success uh arrangement and not only because everyone participated but they have maintained this now you're asking about this 150 percent or some figures may be higher or lower depending on on what base they use and which countries they include uh, some people have even uh, uh, showed the uh, 180 percent or more mm. this is not because necessarily everyone is over compliant mm. There are a few cases like Saudi, which has for uh, basically different reasons decided to produce even slightly below their target. But the main reason for this is basically Venezuela uh, being basically uh, producing much below. And that's not because they are complying to OPEC cut deal. That's because they cannot and they're facing a huge financial uh, crisis and, and problem. So if you exclude Venezuela, still you're at 100 to 110% compliant. And mm. that's main responsible for this slight over compliant is, is Russia. But everyone else is pretty much around 100% with a few uh, members of this or signatory of this deal uh, being below, including Iraq and uh, Kazakhstan. So uh, OPEC pulled up Iraq and Kazakhstan for not complying enough. 
and Iraq has plans to increase its production capacity this year. How will they comply for the rest of the year? Uh, I, yeah, th- well, uh, let me address e- each of these two separately. Iraq was not really uh, happy and somehow asked for this uh, waiver and some non-compliance and basically uh, perhaps an unwritten waiver was given to him to to Iraq because Iraq had uh, much higher production targets and had a lot of uh, uh, contracts uh, with IOCs to produce um, oil fields which were um, uh, basically uh, working uh, or doing underperformance or underperforming and so Going back to them, which are trying hard to bring the performance closer to what uh, the contract says and ask them to cut even further was not really uh, possible for Iraqis. Uh, They were lucky that, uh, in a way, that uh, the situation with Kurdistan and all the the problems that they faced earlier uh, uh, caused the North production to drop. And so otherwise they would have been in a much higher, lower mm. compliance or much higher on, uh, non-compliance situation. Uh, I don't think we should expect much from Iraq for this year in terms of cutting production. Mm-hmm. What may be possible, and this is basically uh, Saudi's oil minister, you know, have been going to Iraq and talking to Iraqi oil minister and trying to, uh, and this was, these are all um, basically, uh, again, Saudi's policy uh, and uh, this oil minister, this is all basically uh, thanks to and this uh, oil minister, when he came to the office, he said from the beginning that I am told to basically take care of this uh, situation and uh, uh, basically I w- I'm happy to contribute and cut production as much as it takes or do whatever it takes to uh, to avoid this uh, situation, uh, oversupply. Uh, so he's trying to convince Iraq to do that. What I think uh, will happen is that Iraq at its best keep uh, its production for this year flat uh, and not increase as uh, the potential is. So that's uh, for Iraq. Kazakhstan, however, situation is different. It was unfortunate for them that when this uh, basically OPEC, non-OPEC framework was uh, happening, it was just about when they were uh, bringing on their uh, very uh, large, impressive and... uh, long uh, on the development Kashagan oil field. Yeah. So that uh, they said explicitly that we will cut from our production ex Kashagan or, or uh, excluding Kashagan. So, uh, and they have done so. I- if you exclude Kashagan, you see that the production have dropped from what it was mm. when uh, at the end of uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. However, they didn't necessarily cut their production from the mature oil fields was on declining. So this was a natural decline rather than anything uh, done, you know, on purpose. So, so a bit of cheating. Uh, yes. Okay. And uh, the situation is that, again, those who look at the statistics and the reason I said the compliance may be different mm-hmm. as how you, you count it, takes total 
Because I got some production, but because I got some from day one said that don't take my total production, look at only my production minus Kazakhstan. So that if you do that, then uh, Kazakhstan is complaining. So I don't think Kazakhstan is also going to cut uh, production, for example, from uh, uh, this uh, major oil field uh, to bring total production to complain. We also have a situation next month when Iran could have sanctions imposed by the U.S. Uh, did they get a? Did they manage to get a waiver when OPEC and non-OPEC were convening to decide on production cuts? Uh, they did not get a waiver, but uh, somehow they were allowed to first few months mm. continue to increase to their pre-sanction uh, level of production, and then stop so they were given a, a short uh, exemption for a temporary one to continue to increase to the 3.9 uh, or 3.95 whatever it was the, the production and then cut from that to 3.8 which they did so uh, this is basically a uh, situation with Iran and they have uh, been uh, at around th- 3.8 uh, pretty much ever since so what's going to happen if sanctions would be imp- would be imposed on Iran next month? Yeah, that uh, is a big uh, question mark uh, whether it happens or not. And if it happens again, there is a there, there is a lot of uncertainty around that because mm-hmm. if the U.S. decides to not renew uh, the waiver of uh, U.S. unilateral sanctions on Iran, uh, then it means that the U.S. president will be allowed to decide whether from that May 12 or up to six months from May 12, start counting how much each company and each country is is purchasing uh, basically oil from Iran. And then, so that's when the observation period starts. So that observation period could start between uh, May 12 or November 12. And then from whenever he he decides to start that, Mm -hmm. for six months, it will be observed. And then at the end of that six months, the companies are supposed to cut their purchase from Iran by somewhere between 20 to 40 percent. So all these uncertainties, when he he decides to, uh, whether it happens or not, if it happens when he decides to start the observation period and hence the six months after that will be when the, the oil price, uh, sorry, oil exports of Iran will start to, de- to decline. Then how much he set that decline uh, yeah. target, 20%, 40%, that also participates. Then who may ask for waiver mm. or exemption? Temporary, as the exemptions were given to companies and countries during Obama administrations, then who is going to apply? If Trump is open to give waivers, for example, to European countries mm-hmm. who have increased their their import from Iran to six to seven hundred kbd at the, at, at the moment, and so all of these will will contribute to the impact of sanctions on supply of Iran to the oil market. What is certain is that the uh, uh, basically psychological impact of this on, on the, the oil market, yeah, yeah, on the oil yeah. market will definitely uh, have uh, basically upward uh, impact on the prices. So, is the Iran factor currently priced in, or or it will get priced in next? Risk month? is priced in, okay. but when it happens, there will be another shock. Mm-hmm.
So definitely there will be, and and not necessarily at that day, maybe may at that day, but that will be a very temporary two, three day thing. But when uh, it will basically start taking the, the barrels out of the market, that's when we see more uh, the full impact of the Iran. So Iran's fa Iran factor is partially impact, uh, uh, basically uh, taken into account. Uh, but full impact will be when it starts happening. But Iran also has some fallback options. China has recently started yuan-backed crude futures. Their loyal customers like India kept buying oil during the sanctions era before. So do you think there will be a real impact or Iran can manage to get its oil out as they've been doing for the last two years? Well, th this is a very speculative uh, situation, uh, but yes, I tend to think that Iran will be able will manage to get uh, some of it. I think there will be definitely uh, a drop in how much they can export. I don't think China, for example, will be uh, able or willing to take all the uh, barrel or, or loss exports from other. Uh, clients, but uh, I believe th th there are ways that they have used in the past or clients that they have uh, uh, worked in the past that can uh, help the situation alleviate. Don't forget that the problem doesn't stop with this policy limiting the barrels or counting the barrels. The problem will be much Beyond that, when the financial and banking sector and all the money uh, flow into Iran will be impacted, then the companies uh, who have uh, either uh, uh, assets or fi uh, financial transactions will, will Iran may even take extra efforts and, and basically stop. Like we have, uh, we had in during the sanctions, Japanese companies who decided to stop altogether even though they could cut because they didn't want yeah. to have to have any uh, let's say uh, sanction barrels in, in their portfolio so it's not uh, it is going to be a very uh, chaotic situation uh, for all iran related uh, business and then uh, one other uncertain factor is how others will react to this, yeah. let's say, U.S. Uh, non-renewal and whether sanctions will snap back because this is not snapback mm -hmm. necessarily yeah. by itself. Snapback will need to be basically triggered by one of the signatories. So either U.S. or Iran may say, okay, I don't want this altogether because yeah. at the moment they're saying all or none. Mm -hmm. So th they may decide to say that, okay, if this is going to happen and if one of the members is not standing by its word, I don't want it altogether. Of course, it may not be uh, financially at their best interest, but uh, uh, basically politically and uh, uh, yeah, it, it is beyond uh, basically... Uh, financial situation, we have to see what uh, the other members decide to react to this. So there is a lot of uncertainty around that. And the U.S. has come down really hard on companies that have uh, worked uh, outside of the sanctions norms, like ZTE recently from China was pulled up and they were told that they could, they could not sell to the U.S. again. 
and they had their license revoked. Well, you know that U.S. has been doing a lot of uh, strange things in the recent past. All these trade yeah. wars yeah. and all these uh, uh, tariffs and uh, everything recent past have been have surprised. Uh, and yes, they have uh, uh, done separate. Uh, deals uh, that have surprised so yeah you uh, can uh, go even company by company and make favorable or uh, non-favorable uh, decisions about who is dealing uh, with Iran and what to do with them. I hope you've enjoyed this episode about oil and energy and what we might expect in 2018 you can read our fuller coverage as always on the national.ae thank you for listening subscribe to this and our other shows on Apple Podcasts Join us again next week.